these developers will reach out to the people who want to get elected full call and say, mm. hey, how big of a deal is it if you just let them have, let them build this the way they want to build it? You know, and that's when we get to see the power between developers and politics. What's going on? Welcome back, y'all. Welcome back. This is Beyond the Talk, and we are the cornerstone for solutions in oppressed communities. We are your hosts, Kristen. And Klaisha. And today we're going to get into this gentrification, housing crisis, development-induced displacement for some marginalized communities. And I like that term, induced displacement, because that's honestly what it is. Like, Honestly, for me, this was probably one of the hardest episodes to do research on since our environmental justice episode. Like that one was really tough, but there's just so many layers and so many like rabbit holes that go into gentrification. And it's a very complex topic. And at every layer, you always find capitalism, white supremacy is pulling the strings and it gets, it pissed me off. Like it took me so long. We have got a really good conversation for y'all today, so we are going to go ahead and get started. Thank y'all so much for listening, and today the main problem that we've got is gentrification is robbing Black and brown people of the opportunity to take advantage of generational wealth, so let's get into it because we got a lot to be mad about. Yep, yep. So before we get into the problem, we do want to tell you guys we're going to have a few special guests uh, highlighting some aspects of the problem while also highlighting an aspect of the solution right here where we reside in Charlotte, North Carolina. Because so, y'all know we are solution-based, so we're going to always give y'all that. Mm-hmm. So let's unpack the problem. In your own words, can you tell us about gentrification and displacement mm-hmm. and how these two housing processes typically impact black and brown folks. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, in this basic form, gentrification, people will argue that it's not a bad thing, right? So to gentrify is just to change the character of usually poor areas mm-hmm. um, when wealthier people um move in and they start to improve the housing they start to bring and attract new businesses which again sounds good except that drives up the cost of land it drives up the cost of prop you know properties and development and what ends up happening are those current inhabitants the people actually living there who've been living there sometimes their whole lives can no longer afford to live in in those communities. So let's start off with what is gentrification, right? For those of you who don't know or you've never heard that word before, gentrification is simply the process where a neighborhood changes, especially economic change um, in a neighborhood or a community that has been historically disinvested or disenfranchised. So to put it in layman's terms, when they bring them scooters to your hood and then the year after that, they bring that Starbucks and then the year after that, it's a taco truck, that's gentrification. Gentrification is a very, very complex topic with a lot of layers, but if we look at the history of race in American society and conditions like white flight and redlining, we can begin to paint a picture and answer questions, you know, like, since when did they put the Starbucks there and why are they building those luxury apartments and it's trash out here on the street because we... Mm -hmm. So, um, Klaisha earlier mentioned induced displacement. 
And what is yes. that? Yes. Yeah, so um, I'm sure many of you guys are familiar with the term displacement, which according to the U.S. HUD department is any permanent involuntary move of an occupant of the project that occurs as a direct result of rehabilitation, demolition, or acquisition for the project. And again, permanent and involuntary. So it's unlike gentrification where gentrification is meant to come into a neighborhood and revitalize it and um, turn it from low value to high value. And it's, it's usually seen as a positive thing, but we know this is more what it's like for us is development-induced displacement where they're developing the land rapidly and then displacing people while doing so through a number of facets. Um, so again, so how displacement typically happens is through that rapid development of a historically underdeveloped area. And sometimes I feel like it's under the guise of gentrification, but it's really just you're, like within that gentrification, people are getting um, placed. So I think also it's important to mention that this type of development induced displacement has roots deeper than the modern day. Mm -hmm. Individuals from black communities all around America were forced to move out of their communities because the city officials deemed it okay to displace them for the sole purpose of developing the land. Eminent domain. I'm, uh, I don't know if we got any listeners out there that know what that means, but that's, you know, that's a bad thing that the government can just use to just steal your property and then say they're paying you the market rate for it when you know they're really giving you fucking pennies and this the first time this happened was in new york central park which is this big beautiful park that everybody loves but is it beautiful right <laughs> you walking hella dogs in there central park is <laughs> i know that shit is heavy that shit is thick it is a nice i mean central park is cute but it's i don't want to offend nobody my family my boyfriend's family is from new york so like shout out to all the new yorkers but like central park is a new york park like it's not pristine right like it's, it's homeless niggas sleeping in central park like it's not <laughs> god bless them but right and i can't believe they was able to get something that like you had to displace people like that park is long it's huge that, uh, like you would you a smart person would develop it as lands as they did at first so that's basically one of the most notable sites for eminent domain and just how we see displacement play out involving the government and these institutions. And effectively what this does is it robs black and brown people of the opportunity to build generational wealth. And you know, we already start behind the eight ball because of slavery and Jim Crow and being disenfranchised and all these things that we can connect together and it puts us behind the eight ball. Mm -hmm. So generational wealth, as the name suggests, um, is pretty much any kind of asset that's passed down, mostly through families from generation to generation. Um, so there's a difference between assets and liabilities. We won't get too much into finances and economics today, but we got something special coming for y'all next month. So stay tuned. Mm -hmm. um, but liabilities lose their value over time. Like a car is a liability or a car is, um, it can be an asset, but it's like a not a liquid asset. Go back and listen to a buy up the block or what is, what's our episode? Buy up. Buy up the block. We talked. Is it buy up the block? Yeah, because we talked about earn your leisure and what's the asset, what's a liability. We did. 
Yeah. I ain't going to break this down for y'all. Make y'all do some homework. Go back and listen to buy up the block. Mm -hmm. But there's a difference between assets and liabilities and assets gain value over time. So stocks, uh, stocks and bonds are a type of asset. But most importantly, especially for black and brown people, the most important asset to have is real estate or property. So um, both of those, whether it's a house or whether it's land, um, both of those have the ability to be passed down to future generations. And that's a big flex. Like mm-hmm. that's a flex though, is having property or real estate. And it's a flex, not in terms of like shitting on other people, but just in terms of beginning to build wealth mm-hmm. for your family and the community at large. So Yes, definitely. So yeah, the next term we want to talk about is economic mobility. And economic mobility essentially are the economic opportunities available to one individual are the overall opportunities in a neighborhood, city, state. And this is essentially used to describe how someone's economic well-being changes over their lifetime. So if you get generational wealth, that means you're you're economically mobile. You're continuing to increase and have more economic opportunities afforded to you. Um, So that means you're upwardly mobile when your income continuously improves, meaning, you know, I'm living better now. Could you sweat us now? Hey, Hey. like, you know, you straight, you ain't surviving, but you thriving as you move throughout life. Um, So now on the other hand, when someone's income stays flat or decreases over their time, their life, that person is considered downwardly mobile. So this is me, you know, I continue to make less <laughs> and less money than I did before. I want to shout out my HBCU because I got paid there. Okay? Amen. I don't want to hear no slander for NC Central because at least on a check, everything else, <laughs> we can talk a lot about NC Central, but I'm going to have Equal pride behind that check because it was always on time. I shame. And it continued well after I graduated when I needed that shit. Like, shout out to North Carolina Central, baby. We like that. Give them a hand clap. So I just want to go when I came to this PWI and then elevated to a higher degree, I now make less, but we're not going to get too into that. But I just want to explain that's what downly mobile means. You want to see Charlotte? You got some explaining to do. You got some explaining to do because that shit is whack um i'll tell you that no, I'm, I'm sorry i'm getting a little too personal let me um so yeah um you just down bad on the other hand you know, on some very downwardly mobile circumstances you might end up singing locked up they won't let me out okay because you got um, to survive I'm sorry. And I promise you, I'm not being stigmatizing. Like there's literal data showing that one of the strongest predictors of incarceration is being downwardly mobile. So again, when we think about that connection between Black folks being, you know, some of the most highly incarcerated people, you, you also have to consider this downwardly mobile aspect, because what do you what do you want from people who don't got it? Like eventually you're going to have to figure out a way to get it. Um, so yeah, I know our avid listeners probably know that policy is always at play um, and impacting our lives and and how it relates to economic mobility is due to these historical policy decisions. Some, some neighborhoods provide a higher rate of upward mobility. So considering this, some families may use 
a measure of economic mobility to decide where to live. Like, oh, okay, this area uh, medium value of a home is in the millions. Okay, that's where we need to go because they probably got a good school and we can afford that. Mm -hmm. But it's like, again, it's fucked up because it, it increases it these segregated neighborhoods but nonetheless um economic mobility can also refer to changes in economic outcomes for groups of people our generations over time how we talk about that generational wealth um, um and we talk about this often too about how fewer children of each generation are earning as much as their parents generation it's mm -hmm. like i'm sorry mom like we're like, we're not the same. I think that I also wish they would stop counting our pockets. Like, yes, I'm in debt. Yeah. It, and it's not your business. I, you don't have it like y'all <laughs> used to do, but I'm not going to not live. Right. I told my boyfriend like a year or two ago, I'm not going to be a slave to money. Like I grew up not the most impoverished, but there was times where, you know, my mom had to boil water on the stove so me and my sister could take a bath because we didn't handle hot water because we had to buy groceries. Yeah. And that can kind of lead to a mentality, especially in Black women who already have this superwoman schema, who already have this mm -hmm. independent woman mindset. That can just lead to a mentality of like, even once you have money, you still have an impoverished mindset. And you're mm -hmm. like, I still got a penny pinch. And I still, bitch, I'm going on trips. Okay. I'm not going to talk about that tomorrow. I don't give a damn about student loan debt. That's up to Joe Biden and Jesus. I'm going to the Bahamas. Okay. Period. Beloved, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like, I can't. Consequences do it. be damned. Fuck out of here. Well, yeah. So we just wanted to give y'all a few terms. And next, we want to bring up um, two very big examples that I feel like we'll keep just following throughout the episode to just show you guys how these problems also are connected with solutions as well and, and connected to the past as well. So, so yeah, one of the big examples that we can look at is the murder of Breonna Taylor. And throughout this episode, I'm going to call it murder because that's what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we need to be very clear when we're speaking about black and brown people who have lost their lives due to white supremacy or police brutality, it's murder. So mm -hmm. if murder offends your sensibilities, honey, if you're not a true crime girly, you're in the wrong place. Okay. <laughs> but when we look at the events that led up to Breonna Taylor's untimely death, um, we can look at policies, right? We can look at things that were put in place that made it hard for black and brown people to continue to live in that community, even though they've been there a long time. And we talk about a lot on this podcast um, about a militarized police force and how they are enforcers of an oppressive, oppressive regime. So when we talk about induced displacement, like who, who do you think is enforcing that displacement? Like who do you think is enforcing having these people removed from communities that they've built and been in? So when we talk about displacement and gentrification, we can't gloss over the gigantic role that policing plays in speeding up the process of removal. Mm -hmm. And before anybody wants to get up here and call us conspiracy theorists or say we're spreading misinformation, let's, let's give y'all some tea. Like let's give you the tea. Close mm -hmm. your mouth and open your ears. Yes, yes. Because I know a, a lot of y'all probably was not expecting that example to come out of our mouth mm -hmm. as we're talking about gentrification and displacement. But it's, 
Hold your mute. I told you. Hold your mute. I told you this was a very difficult episode to, mm-hmm. to research because there's so many layers to it. And it's a very real problem. We're not just making things up and stringing big words together, right? Mm-hmm. So you look at the case of Breonna Taylor, and for those who don't remember her name or aren't familiar with the case, she was a 26-year-old Black woman who was fatally shot and killed by police in Louisville, Kentucky on March 13, 2020. She was inside her own home. She was asleep, I believe, when this happened. And the police who shot into her home and murdered her were attempting to serve a no-knock warrant. And we'll talk about that a little bit as well. Her autopsy says that she was shot a minimum of seven times while she was asleep, a minimum of seven times. And the only officer to be charged by the state of Kentucky is Officer Brett Hankison. And he actually isn't charged for killing Breonna Taylor. He's charged with wanton endangerment for accidentally shooting into the neighbor's house. So the only the, the state of Kentucky decided to charge one person for the bullets that did not hit Breonna Taylor's body. Um, that shit just pisses me off. I'm sorry. <laughs> that shit makes me so upset. Yeah. Um, but this case was all over the news and it sparked a lot of national protests. I think George Floyd was killed maybe a week or two after that. So mm-hmm. it kind of was a catalyst for a lot of the protests that happened in 2020. So I just wanted to set the scene for y'all because what a lot of people don't know, even if we are familiar with that case, now mind you, this happened in 2020. So in the summer of 2022, just last year, the FBI opened an investigation into her murder. And in August of 2022, they charged four officers with crimes and corruption that were related to her case. Ain't take no time. Ain't take no time. Listen, the FBI, when the FBI want to do it, they'll do they it. They gonna do it, bitch. <laughs> That's what they live for. See, these cops, I'm gonna get on my soapbox for two seconds. These, like, cops that pull you over and write you traffic tickets, they want to be in the FBI. They right. want to be detectives. Everybody thinks they're Elliot Stabler. That's why they be acting <laughs> fucking crazy, okay? But the real detectives, the real investigators, they'll get right with you. They're gonna get right with you, okay? <laughs> so they expeditiously, in the words of T.I., <laughs> they <laughs> expeditiously charged four officers with crimes related to her case. So there was a detective and a sergeant. Now, sergeant kind of high up, right? So there was a detective and a sergeant who were both charged with federal federal civil rights obstruction because they falsified documents to get the warrant signed. Mm -hmm. Like, first of all. So then there was um, another officer that was charged with firing through a covered door, which is a civil rights violation. So if your windows and doors are covered, police are not allowed to shoot into your home. Um, and the last officer was charged with conspiracy, which she helped the sergeant and the detective falsify the documents. So when people sit up here and say, oh, it's, it's when racist white people get up here and say, oh, you think everybody's out to get black people. You think it's a conspiracy theorist. Like that bitch was charged with conspiracy. Right. That she was <laughs> conspiring to falsify documents. Come on now. Okay. Talk to your neighbor now. So when we talk about gentrification, robbing black and brown people of opportunities to build wealth, one of the ways it does that is by very literally killing black people. Like how many videos have we seen of white people calling the police on black people for literally just existing? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times what happens is that non-black people have moved into black spaces and black communities and they don't take the time to understand the culture. They don't understand the people who've been there and built this community up um they just they just moved in because you know it's a fucking coffee shop down the street and it's Mm -hmm. cheap so white supremacy gives you a certain type of entitlement yes we know that you are entitled to think that you can use the police to enforce your fear or your uncomfortability or your ignorance and so many times these police calls lead to death or life-altering experiences Mm -hmm. for black and brown women so we'll say like gentrification killed brianna taylor gentrification killed brianna taylor 
Attorneys say they were targeting suspected drug dealer Jamarcus Glover and the other two people who lived in his home in the 2400 block of Elliott Avenue because it was in the way of the city's project. Lawyers claim the city has been using police officers to remove people and homes on Elliott Avenue to make room for a large real estate development project. That's where Brianna's ex-boyfriend Jamarcus Glover lived. In a statement, the mayor's spokesperson called the allegations outrageous and an insult, saying the work along Elliott Avenue is one small piece of the larger Russell neighborhood revitalization they've been working on for years. Attorneys claim this past winter, police had been targeting Glover and the other two people who lived with him, Adrian Walker and Crenshaw. According to Brianna's no-knock warrants, officers said they once witnessed Glover leaving her home with a package and also saw a car registered to her outside of his house. But attorneys claim Brianna allegedly replaced that car in January. They believe five no-knock warrants were obtained March 12th, the night before she was killed, all targeting possible locations of the three suspects. The focus was on Elliott Avenue. One of those warrants was for Brianna's home on Springfield Drive, but an LMPD whiteboard in the lawsuit shows her home was only meant for surveillance, just in case Glover and the other two targets were not found. That's not even the, the half of it. Like, we're going to connect the dots on how that really gets into displacement and gentrification. Don't mistake it. Killing black people is robbing them of generational wealth, period. Like, that's not even just the individual, like, especially when you look at like Philando Castile, or you look at Oscar Grant, yeah. these people have kids, like you're robbing their children, you're robbing yes. future generations of the opportunity, not just to build generational wealth, you're robbing them of the opportunity to fucking exist. Mm-hmm. Like recently, Tyree, <sighs> he left behind a four-year-old and I'm just like, I'm, I'm just so sick of this shit. And I know it's just a part of being a black American. But you know what's crazy? One, the police officers were expeditiously fired, not suspended without pay. They were fired. And that is because they're, they're black. black. Like you the have colonizers to... are never going to pick you. Okay. And when have we ever said that we don't have traitors, assassins, villains amongst our midst? Coons. Coons. We're not perfect. Coons. And we don't stick by I don't get why that's supposed to be the assumption that oh they're black so it must mean no. that no that proves it even more that white supremacy is at play because mm -hmm. it's that crabs in the barrel mentality where you want to be like masses so bad so bad you want to use masses tools so bad and, and you don't even want to use the tools to dismantle the house you want to build a wing on the house bitch like and that's why them niggas got fired that's why them niggas got fired but the second crazy thing is that they they got fired and you don't hear anything where the blue lives matter people at they just fired y'all people where the blue lives matter niggas at also on twitter somebody said uh to another white person that was like outraged about it was like um i think as a white person us white people need to stay out of it what does that mean you want to stay out of it now what does that mean i thought all blue lives matter i thought all blue like all blue matters oh or is it all white and blue? That's why it's the white supremacy at mm -hmm. play here. Like, mm -hmm. but we're not gonna get into that before we get called hoteps. Not hoteps. Listen, I feel like I, I'm not gonna say I agree with what the hoteps be saying, but listen, a a broken clock is right twice a day. So somebody somewhere is saying something true, even if it's not all true. That's number one. Yes. <laughs> number two, if you want to sit up here and call us hoteps or call us this, that, and the third, X, Y, Z, whoop-de-whoop-de-whoop -whoop -whoop, because we are doing the research 
to spread knowledge stay ignorant yeah don't listen we're not yeah, podcast for you because i promise you'll be less stress-free <laughs> you be, will be so stress-free and so like um elusive to what is going on mm-hmm. and i i over time i admire that in people i really admire that you get to walk in around this world delusional delusional yeah are only what people tell you are what people make available to you mm-hmm. That shit amazes me. I'm like, I I love that for you. Because it is stressful. Like activism is stressful. Doing like knowing something's wrong and then doing the research to see like A, B, C, D, and it leads to fucking Z. That shit is stressful. So for you motherfuckers who want to listen to podcasts about uh pop culture, nigga, yeah, yeah. Kudos to you, bitch. That's great. I'm not built that way. I love it. I love <laughs> it. You need it. We we a highway podcast. So- Okay. We, we turn turn us on on a long trip. We a road actually, trip podcast. Right. Were you actually ready to tap in somewhere and listen? Not on your 30 minute drive to work. Like, but that's the thing too, is like if we really want to be about liberation as a community, like we have to do the work. Like there's mm-hmm. work that has to be done and we can't sit here and be like, oh, thank you, Martin Luther King. Thank you, Angela Davis. Like you have to stand on their shoulders and keep fucking putting mm-hmm. bricks on the building. Like you have to keep building that shit up. Like the building is not built. The house is not built. Come on now. Y'all motherfuckers is content squatting in a house with no roof. Jesus. Couldn't be me. Shut up. Okay, example two, which is a very big popping example in the non-profit economic mobility gentrification housing intergenerational poverty the rooms those rooms this study is talked about in depth and then if you live in a major city your city officials are probably talking about this study as well and it's called the chetty study um that's the author and Essentially, he did using, you know, archival data and longitudinal data, which essentially just tracking someone over time, children from when they're born to when they die using all types of records, because no matter what we have, one, we have social security, two, we are moved throughout this system in ways that we really do not understand that if you wanted to, you could connect your life from beginning to end a certain way. And this is one of the ways where you're using hospital data, DMV records, mortality records, all these records and piecing together and the unique identifier is your name or your social security card. So just to give that background, like this study was done very in depth and it created a lot of insight around economic mobility, which is essentially in 50 major cities in America, if you are born poor, you are more likely to die poor. And you know where we live, Kristen? Queen City. Big 704. Yep, yep, big (laughs) 50. Big dead last. So you're trying to tell me in a, a, a study of 50 cities. The largest cities. 50 of America's largest cities. Charlotte is number 50. Dead last. Give it up for Charlotte. (laughs) Yes. Give it up. So, yeah, this study. Yeah, it was from Harvard, child, and uh, they they found Charlotte dead last. And my heart also goes out to my home state, Ohio, because they had three major cities on the last um, page two, which is Columbus. No, four. The three C's. 
and Dayton. So Columbus, Cleveland, Cincinnati, and Dayton was also on this list. Like, damn. And so that means that out of all those 50 major cities, these are the ones where you're, if you're going to be born poor, you're going to die poor. Yes, like it's almost a inequivocal fact in these cities. And it gets worse and worse. Like cities from number one, it's the least. Like you still got a little bit of odds to mm-hmm. kind of beat the odds. There, but as you keep going down, it gets worse and worse. Yes. Which yeah. is crazy because Charlotte, Charlotte is a growing city. Like there's so many people moving here. There's a if it's a patch of grass, bitch, they throw in a condo on it. So it's like the fact that but that's again, if you're born here. Mm-hmm you gonna die poor that's the thing it's the residents that have been here mm-hmm. and the residents that are coming in are making the city look like oh like looks so shiny pristine and, and so cute and they bring in all that new money but it's really yes you're displacing people in rapidly gentrifying areas so now the city looks exciting and cool to come to because they know that oh it's gonna get bigger and bigger but another interesting thing is that when I did a little more digging, I found that five of the cities that were dead last are also on the same list of U.S. cities with the largest Black populations. Of course. And they're not all at the bottom. So, you know, when you measure how large the population Black, like mm-hmm. one, to t- it was in the top 20 cities. Mm-hmm. Those last five and the bottom five of the Chetty study mm-hmm. were in the top 10 of the largest black city so y'all make your own conclusions with that because if a plus b equals c then we know what two plus two equals. you know what i'm saying it's giving four it's giving four but you answer i don't know maybe you could come up with a different one mm. yeah. yeah that's wild and that's called the chetty study and we'll put a link to that study in our resources page if y'all yes. want to check it out because it is some very interesting data like don't be intimidated by data like yeah the world moves on data like sometimes it's funny to see the stuff that we know is happening in our community and to see it with a graph or with numbers or with mm-hmm. like actual yeah don't be intimidated by data y'all yeah go not, to the resource page you're not intimidated by the data when you get a thousand impressions on your tweet like that's data that's data when you got 30 likes on your ig that's, that's data. data when you monetizing your twitch account that's data like that's data it's very simple data and we would call it descriptive in the stats world but nonetheless it helps us solve a lot of problems and Mm -hmm. answer a lot of questions and yeah yeah, don't need to be afraid of it that's you know my life's mission to make sure i can take this academic jargon and put it in terms where we actually understand and we can mobilize with it Mm -hmm. fuck being able to be right or finding some shit out what can we do with it right But also, before we move on to the next thing, speaking of Charlotte, when we talk about the growth of cities, now listen, if you're listening and you live in Charlotte, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. Charlotte is booming. Like, if you were to leave Charlotte today and come back next year, like, it's going to look completely different. Mm -hmm. Um, When we talk about the growth of cities, especially in the American South, we have to talk about how as cities grow and people move in, cities need public transportation, okay? Now, that's one thing about New York City. New York City is an old city, but you can get around them. Of them. You got a bus, you got a train, you got you don't need a car. You don't need a car. A lot of people who live in New York don't have cars um, or they have like one car for a household type shit if they need to do stuff. But when we talk about systemic racism, we can't ignore how 
racism as it pertains to gentrification is interwoven into the transit systems in major cities. And this plays a role in low economic mobility because if you can only move around a specific area of the city, like in Charlotte, it mm -hmm. takes you 45 minutes to get from one side to the other because there's only two fucking buses that's going to take you there. You're missing out on resources and you're missing out on connections mm -hmm. and job opportunities. And so you're staying within this community where other people who live here with you also have the same economic mobility. Mm -hmm. So um, CAT's bus system, we appreciate what y'all do, but let's tighten up. Lock in for a tweak out. Look, look, look. We'll talk about that. They try and we'll talk about that in solutions because Charlotte is, is, I will say, a pretty decent example of how you should approach when you get called out because being dead last, like, whew. Yeah, and New Orleans was right down there with them in Atlanta. And mm, I said, who? Ooh. So to be a big major city, and, and yeah, they, they took heed to it. So we'll talk later about that. Um, but I did want to bring up something else about transportation because you bring up a good point that I didn't learn until recently is that that's also a way you can tell if gentrification is coming because mm. you know white flight now that they came back and now it's I would say white flight mixed with now economically mobile people mm -hmm. because you see that now even more than white people that are economically mobile upwardly mobile have to make these hard decisions too like dang i don't want to displace people i also don't want to live in the hood like uh, what am i yeah so i'm saying that those people looking one thing that they look for am i close to a transit mm -hmm. because now that people are trying to do this climate friendly thing where they're not trying to use their car too much or can i bike there is it near a park mm -hmm. but essentially back in the day that's where you built the low-income places. Yeah. Because they needed to be close to a transit to where? Get to work. Because white people lived in the suburbs. Come when on. When white flight, they moved to the suburbs. They had cars. They had their grocery stores. Everything was in one area. They didn't need a bus. Exactly. So now there's a great return. And, and it's everybody. It's millennials. It's older folks retiring. It's upward, you know, just upwardly mobile. Mm -hmm. And then the white flight coming back. So it's a mixture of factors that I think also is important to pay attention to when we talk about gentrification and displacement and how it happens so slow. Yeah. And so, and there's certain markers you can look out for to be like, oh, this is coming and we need to prepare for it. But it's like a snowball. Yes. Like it happens very gradually. And then like by the time that you realize it's a snowball, it's too fucking it's late. It's too, the ball is too big. It's too big. Let's go ahead and, and bring up a few facets on how do we get like right. how do we get here? You know how we got here? We was fighting for liberation, but we didn't get that grant. Period. In a nutshell. <laughs> I saw that online and I was weak because that's really how it goes. Money is the root to everything. So it's like you really wanted to change the world. And they they said, no, you will <laughs> not be getting this one million. You will not. Okay. The Republicans said no. The Democrats said mm, no. And it's like... <laughs> Oh my God, y'all, the United States is a scam. It's such a scam. But we're back. We're, we have hope. We're hopeful. 
So how did we get here? Well, in all honesty, I feel like we can look at policies that have been put into place, right? Because people don't get to just build cities and move into places and displace people without there being some legal backup. Like they, you can't just do shit that you can't do. So I like to look at the legal policies and, and the uh, ramifications that have gotten us here. So in the example of Breonna Taylor and the no-knock warrants, I, I, I'm a smart cookie, okay? Like I, I read... I understand a lot of things. Mm-hmm. I don't understand how that's legal in any situation. Like, no, like, I don't feel like there should ever be a way for police to enter your home without a warrant. Like yeah. that's, but then now they have a warrant, but they still don't have to ask permission. Like that's wild to me. Yeah, that's that drug shit though. They making the case that, you know, if they see us coming, they gonna leave. However, in this line between very violent people in situations and very normal people in normal circumstances like mm-hmm. one nine in their day bed versus for a drug house that's ready for war mm-hmm. like i don't think those need the same policies mm-hmm. so yes to your point like i feel like i could see why it would be legal but i don't see why it's legal across the board right I mean, I get it, but I don't no, like that's. But I don't like it. Yeah, like, <laughs> I don't like it at all. But we, I mean, like you have to think about too, like racial profiling in policing, and like how many times do police get it wrong because you you fit the description? Like Come I don't fit now. no goddamn description, nigga. Like you know I don't fit no right. But how many times do they get it wrong because of that? And like even in the case of Breonna Taylor, they falsified documents to get this no knock warrant they weren't even looking for her they were looking for her ex-boyfriend they was looking for a nigga that she was not with no more and he lived like two or three blocks away so it was just given like that that's what i'm saying is like a lot of these these racist ideas have had the opportunity to grow and manifest and be put into law have been written into legislature been written Mm -hmm. into policy and that shit kills us every day it robs us it kills us. It's still kill and destroy. Damn it. White supremacy is the devil. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I feel like there has to be more checks and balances on the way that police police our communities. Like y'all can't just, you were serving a war for a nigga who ain't even live here. Yeah. And somebody end up getting shot seven times while she was in her bed. But again, that's what happens when you define the problem wrong and you, it, they so wrapped up in this drug culture and you not realizing, well, why is it a drug culture in a, it, to begin with? And why is only, the, why is the drug culture only here? We know that's a fucking lie because we know the cocaina is uphill, period, downtown, period, and uptown and left town, but it's not in the hood and that's where it's not glamorous so now when we got the meth and the crack and the fentanyl and the weed even though weed is starting to be glamorous too but then now it creates this culture of all these guys are bad all these women are bad as I walk in do these streets because you've been so ingrained in that culture that i'll be watching vice i'll be like what y'all think this is life or death and Mm -hmm. it's like i get it i've never came to every day and feel like oh i might die today like you know i might get caught slipping as an officer but i also didn't sign up to be an officer and lay down my life for the law i I also didn't do that either so i think that's 
when you consider those two things, you do need to define a problem from a different perspective that is multi-layered and requires officers to have more critical thinking skills and emotional intelligence, period. Period. Because if y'all always talking about y'all need to get paid more, I'm not doing another training. No, y'all just need to have it in you, bro. Mm -hmm. you, you, the four-year degree might not be enough. I'm sorry. You might need a four-year degree and a two-year certificate on, on something else because you need to be engaged critically, not in a training course mm -hmm. for one hour a week for six weeks and it's like oh you've made it you've passed you've passed the quiz here's your certificate it's like i also think police should be able to police the communities they live in so as it is currently yes. at least in north carolina you don't police the community you live in so if you live in charlotte you may be a police officer in kannapolis or some shit which is fucking stupid because even if you were brought up with racist ideals even if you're the whitest of the white it is going to be a lot harder for you to shoot the fucking milkman that you know seven fucking times because you're mistaking him mm -hmm. for somebody the fuck else but if you're in a city or a community that you don't know and you've been taught like oh yeah all these people are bad all these people mm -hmm. do this all these people that you're going in there ready for some shit mm -hmm. and it's like like you said i get police see shit they see bad shit they go through shit we all go through shit man up nigga you ain't have to be no motherfucking okay don't get me started on that shit and again so i know we get with deep on policing but it's another avenue to where this gentrification and displacement leads to these people being seen as devalued mm -hmm. like they they're not of value anymore and so it makes gentrification easy to say why don't we just do this like these people aren't even of value here mm -hmm. we're always having to send the police out the police are tired the police want more money they feel like they're not getting enough when really the real problem is y'all not giving those people help like mm -hmm. y'all not giving them what they need uh and i just think it just takes away the humanity out of someone when you tell them when that the way you treat them is is really devaluing mm -hmm. you didn't you didn't say it out your mouth that these people don't have value but right the way you move in which in the like Brianna Taylor or no knock warrant and shooting without hesitancy they those people in those how that house had no value to you not at all and this and so displacement is a lot easier to do when you know it's it's crackheads on the step and broken glass and babies crying it's displacement is a lot easier and gentrification is this nice shiny high value aspect so mm -hmm. i just wanted up or down i know we, they like why the hell y'all talking about the police because it because this is a real example of the problem and <laughs> one of the things we were talking about you know looking at these communities as if they don't have value they actually have nuisance laws where these people of these communities are a nuisance and so one of the things that a lot of people especially brianna taylor's family and the attorney for her family one of the things that they mentioned was that i think about a year before she died before she was murdered the mayor of louisville expanded the list of what nuisance violations are so nuisance violations are like drunken disorderly conduct being drunk in public domestic violence um smoking in public like nuisance violations aren't whole ass crimes but it's shit that honestly brings down the property value of an area and he expanded that list to include more things 
and we know that expansive laws become restrictive on people in a community, especially if those laws are targeted at those people. Come on now. Um, it's, it's giving black codes for me. But, uh, <laughs> no, nobody want to call them that, but that's what it is. So there's a, a nonprofit called the Root Cause Research Center. Come on. Um, I need to work for them. You should. Oh, my God. put their information on here. Oh, my gosh. Literally, my research interest. Fuck a health disparity. I want a root cause. Why? But the Root Cause Research Center, they published an article in 2021. Now, mind you, Breonna Taylor was murdered in 2020. In 2022 is when the FBI opened the investigation. So between that and 2021, um, this article that they published, they did a study that where they focused on the link between policing and redeveloped or gentrified neighborhoods in Louisville. And they looked at nuisance complaints, mm. which is how many times people called the police for mm. a nuisance. And they looked at violations, which is where the police were writing tickets. So they looked at the correlation between that and they found a 65% increase in nuisance violations in market rate developments, which is basically mm-hmm. not affordable housing. Mm-hmm. So they found this happening in the Russell neighborhood specifically, which is the neighborhood where Breonna Taylor lives. So again, gentrification killed Breonna Taylor Come because you had now. a government that expanded what this crime was or what this violation was. You have people that moved into this neighborhood and have never had any interaction with the people who built this neighborhood who've been here for generations. And they're calling the police because it's like, I just, there's someone they're sitting so on the loud. steps outside. They're so loud. And that is legally a violation. Mm-hmm. And so for all intents and purposes, yeah, gentrification killed Breonna Taylor. And I wonder how many more people have been mm-hmm. killed or had their lives altered by fucking yuppies. Right. In and, and I wonder how informed that law expansion was informed by the community. Mm-hmm. So why did you expand the laws? Like, what was the reason of that? Is it because developers were in your ear like, hey, We'll put a lot of money in your city if you can go ahead and speed up this thing happening over here mm-hmm. in the Russell neighborhood. Or was it actually people from your community saying we need to expand these laws? And what part of the community was saying that? Was it across the board? Right. That's what my problem is when we talk about policy. A lot of times people are taking their biases, taking their their love for capitalism, their love for you know power into these roles and then creating these policies and calling it, well, I'm I'm a public servant. Right. It's some as we told y'all, oh it's God. a lot of layers and it's a complex topic. And True. it'll 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 piss your ass off. Yeah. It's and two to to get back to that Chetty study example. You know, the study had an interesting finding, and it was that both black and whites living in areas with large African American populations have lower rates of upward income mobility. Mm. So, um, and can you guess why that may be? Mm, I I mean, you know, I would like to pin it on slavery and or segregation. I mean, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> and if you're an avid listener, that should be your best guess. Like every anytime time we ask you, that should be your best guess. Because in America's context, it really does lead to slavery and segregation a lot of the times. Um, and this article points to segregation but I mean, we know it's probably a little bit of both. Like you just can't statistically test for slavery a lot of times. Um, and what I told y'all last episode is 
racism is the birth child of capitalism. Mm -hmm. So the reason whites also fare the same in these areas with large black populations is because segregation impacted both low income whites and I'll even quote the article's own words because they said the same thing I said. Racial segregation is often associated with income segregation. Mm -hmm. it's, it, it is what it is. And so I wish that's what another thing was, uh, another realization would happen in the American society if the lower class and the middle class realize we're in this shit together. Listen, I don't know why you think you're much different than me and you're a paycheck and a credit card away from poverty. Listen, <laughs> you're capping, bro. It's, it's racism and it's capitalism. It goes hand in hand because at the same time, like you said, I think, was it Chris Rock who said, it's nothing a white man with a penny hates more than a black man with a nickel. And it's like, bro right i and we may not be able to put this in the episode but i don't have any remorse for poor white people i don't because um you literally were given every fucking advantage from jump now are there poor white people yes but your life isn't hard because you're white yeah even if you're immigrant white if you're irish or you're polish your life in 2023 your life is not hard because you're white yeah most times it's hard because capitalism gonna capitalize period it, it, it's not it don't have nothing to do with racism on, on it, it do a little bit but a lot of it got to do with capitalism and them pitting us against each other mm -hmm. but it is true that a lot of people have been infected by uh, infected lord mm. covid <laughs> it's true a lot of people have been affected by um induced displacement because what i'm starting to see now is you know how they say there's new money and there's old money bitch there's old poor and there's new poor and these new poor motherfuckers they don't know what's going on not motherfuckers these new poor people mm -hmm. they don't know what's going on like it's a it's an it a, a surge of mainly younger white people mm -hmm. and even though they still have the privileges of being white they're like you guys I went to Whole Foods and spent $50 and these are all the groceries I got and it's like baby you need to go to compare foods why are you still shopping at Whole Foods that's not that's not gonna do the same that time is up yeah for now you need to go you need to go to yeah. Aldi okay? okay so it's it's very um it's very interesting to see how like racism keeps us divided and if we could figure out a way to not even get over that but if we could figure out a way to dismantle racism mm -hmm. then we could tackle capitalism or classism but i don't think we have the time to i think we have to do them both together yes yes so. and that's what happened that's what requires us to get on the same page because we need to do both together and if we continue to believe that classism is a i don't know i feel like sometimes classism is viewed as a racist issue like why when we say disadvantaged or like minority like who are often minority low-income communities like mm -hmm. it's always together mm -hmm. when it's really disadvantaged communities whether you're minority or not I even have to check myself sometimes because not all minorities in this community are low income mm -hmm. and not all uh, low-income people are minorities in this neighborhood right so we need to include white people too because it, it's almost like we're helping build that idea and that aspect and culture that well I mean I'm 
as a white person, I'm poor, but am I really like, I can use sympathy of other people and really make something shake if I wanted to. Yeah. But not believing if you, if we just work together, we could really make something shake, but they believe, oh no, like we just, I'm good over here. Yeah. Cause I'm poor because did some shit happen mm-hmm. and I'm poor not policy made me poor yeah yeah and it's like I think in the back of a lot of white people's minds they know that they upward economic mobility they won't always be poor yeah I was looking up to think about the Trump supporters honestly like low income whites blame it on liberals or they'll blame it on some type of policy that we're doing and then they think cutting taxes gets them to be richer when it's like you're poor bro your taxes aren't going fucking anywhere negro like your taxes aren't go- and also too like and we'll talk about this in our next episode the impact of debt but yes, yes. a lot of times poor people especially if you've been poor for generations you have a an impoverished mindset exactly and so like that's one of the reasons why i am firmly for reparations but i don't think every nigga just needs a check yes I, no no, yes. I want to see some equity. I want to see some programs that are baby gonna, bonds. Baby, see, I would like a check personally. Yes, but, personally. <laughs> but I don't think we all just need checks yeah. because we have been disadvantaged in this society for so long that a lot of people in our community have a, an impoverished mindset. Okay, so you already know we're not going to leave without giving y'all them solutions. Mm. So. Again, if you're an avid listener, you know what you know what we're about to say. You know what Clash's solution is. Yes, you know <laughs> what I'm about to say. Active civic engagement. I will say that now. I've been saying voting and like we have new age politicians now. But I will say, let me change that narrative. Active civic engagement. Because I think a lot of people think civic engagement stops at voting and that that is disappointing to me that is disheartening and that is a part where that is a lot of the hopelessness in me of like if we don't get that together I am afraid we're doomed because if we're not dismantling democracy then are we gonna do that I get dismantling these institutions you know dismantling the police department and starting a new like I get that but if we're going to keep the democracy at play, which is not that bad, if we add a little bit of socialism in there. I don't want to hear that. Right. <laughs> Nobody will hear socialism as being good because then you think it's a mix with communism, which we could even get on communism too. Not was not historically, oh, it's a bad thing. But we'll that's a whole that shut show, our podcast. <laughs> that shows you how well propaganda works, but we're not, we're we're gonna oof. Ooh, we're not gonna get too deep for the intro. That's another another topic for, for another, another episode. <laughs> but okay. Um, also, uh, we'll be getting into this topic later. But I just want to be truthful that AI wrote this when I asked them to describe why civic engagement is important. So let's see what AI had to say about it. AI said, civic engagement is an important tool for people of color to enact positive change in their communities. It gives them a voice to share their experiences and perspectives and to advocate for policies that promote 
economic and social justice. Additionally, civic engagement allows people of color to shape the future of their communities through voting, that's step one, direct action, that's step two, and organizing, that's step three. I would, I would argue organizing is step two and direct action is step three, but it's AI, you know, they, they don't always get it right. Um, so by engaging in civic activities, people of color can create opportunities to build generational wealth, increase economic mobility, and create a more equitable future for all. AI, you, I ain't mad at she you. She did that. I ain't mad at you, AI. She did that. Thank that, you, AI. Yes. I always remember to thank your AI because, bitch, one day. They, they, yeah. <laughs> they're coming for us, You bitch. really want AI to be your friend. Okay. <laughs> I think that's really important. Like, and I think it's important to note too that you can be engaged in your community without um, voting. Like, cause I, <laughs> I don't not believe in voting. I just believe that my ancestors didn't do all that shit for me to just vote between two stupid motherfuckers. So if we're talking about presidential yeah. elections, like I'm not, I'm not doing that. Y'all both sound fucking dumb and nobody's mm -hmm. planning on doing anything for me not me individually, but like no one is speaking to anything that my community is asking for. Mm -hmm. You're talking over us and you're telling us what you think we need mm -hmm. or you're saying shit to appease your voter base. I'm not, I'm, I'm not voting for that, but you can still practice civic engagement without voting. So although that's step one and then you have direct action and organizing, you can get in where you fit in. Mm -hmm. Like if you are the type of person who you don't believe in voting, get involved in organizing. Mm -hmm. Like get involved with people who have a plan to push shit forward or to change shit. Like if you don't believe that that's your ministry, okay, you don't want to be out on the front lines, like vote. Donate your money to a, a, a candidate that you think is worth whatever. And then hold direct action. Hold these motherfuckers accountable. Everybody can do that. Go to the city hall meeting. I They're wanna, free. Come on. <laughs> you can even, nowadays, they be trying to do a, I don't know if this is the same, but during the pandemic, you could pull up at a city hall meeting online. Period. So I don't know if they still doing hybrid scenarios, but still, nonetheless, like that's a very great way on a local thing to really uh advocate because for instance right now in atlanta they're trying to build a cop city and the atlanta police association is footing most of the bill and the city's matching the rest like have and they got i think they got some private investors too don't quote me on that look into that um but still it's just a point of this we're just now hearing about it and these motherfuckers about to break ground like yeah. they, they're like atlanta is in the fight for their lives atlanta organizers and then somebody even got killed trying to um advocate and organize against the city and bring awareness to it so that's what i mean like they need help too like yeah. activists need help being supported and it doesn't just need to be something where it's like damn how we just now finding out about this trust me they could not do that shit in a vacuum they just know that the lay person don't give a fuck about mm -hmm. action unless someone makes them care or unless it like directly affects them thank you like which a lot of it mm. but, i mean <laughs> locally i won't talk about nationally can't speak to that all the time but locally a cop city that's gonna make 
climate change worse because they're taking down most of the trees that are like historical trees Mm -hmm. in that area and like we've already shown the great wonders of trees during our climate justice episode so love trees yeah they do so much and you're tearing them down purposely to build a fake neighborhood and there's a layer on top of that where you're building a fake neighborhood for police to practice raids when there's so many fucking homeless people in Atlanta, you're telling me you're building homes that are not meant to be occupied by people. You're using them so can, police can practice busting in other people's homes, like what, demonic, what the devilish. Fuck? And then hellish. it's like they keep saying so the Atlanta Police Department, but I, I doubt I'm it. not stupid. I'm you're not, not spending that much money if you can't charge training retreat prices so for all other kinds of cops. all kind of cups to come through all around georgia in the larger america i know y'all y'all at cop conferences getting happy like oh i can't wait to no we're not doing that and well, i wonder might be. if the city is footing half of the bill and the, the police union or whatever is fitting foot in the first part how much is half the bill because how much of that money could be spent mm-hmm. on other things going on in atlanta how much of that money could be spent on other issues that the layperson in Atlanta is is struggling with? Mm-hmm. Needs funding, needs finances. Like how many nonprofits need funding? How many fucking potholes are there? <laughs> like how many? That's that's the shit that like I feel like that's the simplest. When I talk to people about like government reform, that's the simplest explanation I have. Like you're paying all this money in taxes, but there's still potholes on the road. That don't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense. (laughs) That does not make sense to me. They've been doing construction in Charlotte since I was seven years old. I am 28, bitch. Where are the taxes going? And I'll tell you, taxpayers are only expected to foot only. The fuck? (laughs) Only. I don't want to foot none of it. Like, but it says for one third of the estimated $90 million price tag. In what? Cop City? Wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. 90 mil, baby. They're only gonna do a third of 90 mil? That's still... That's 30 million. <laughs> what you mean? That's 30 million. Said, bitch, that's... And the taxpayers of Atlanta are gonna be paying that? And again... For something they don't want and didn't and ask for? But the city council voted and approved it. And the city council was voted in by us. That's what I be trying to tell you, niggas. (laughs) Wake the fuck up. But see, that's the thing, too. Like, Atlanta is a good place to look at because all the niggas in Atlanta who voted, did they not vote for other black black candidates or Democratic candidates? So that's one of the reasons why if you're going to vote, even if you're not going to vote, civic engagement in and of itself, holding these people accountable is applying pressure is is necessary like it's beyond necessary like it's imperative and even looking at um louisville and brianna taylor we'll play a clip here so you guys can hear this but the judge who signed that no not warrant that the motherfuckers falsified documents to get they voted her ass out and she was replaced by who she's your queen she was replaced by a black woman now a win is a win Okay. okay a win is a win but only time will tell if this um, district judge or whoever this woman was, only time will tell if the queen that replaced her, the sister that replaced her, is going to be uh, kinfolk or skinfolk. Yeah, but we don't know. This is Judge Mary Shaw. She is the circuit judge for Jefferson County in Kentucky. 
Judge Mary was the same judge who signed off on the no-knock warrant for police officers to enter Breonna Taylor's home. To be fair, the no-knock warrant was falsified by this police officer, ex-police officer Joshua James, along with other police officers. Kentucky still wasn't having that because this past Tuesday, this incumbent judge was defeated. That's right. She's no longer or will no longer be the circuit judge. And she was defeated by this sister here, attorney Tracy Davis. <laughs> Kentuckians, as you know, all skin folks ain't kin folks. And y'all's attorney general, Danielle Cameron, you see, he didn't care to seek justice for Breonna Taylor. And now he's running for governor in 2023. Let's make sure you guys turn up and say no. I mean, hell no to him. Because you have a right as an American citizen to fall up in a town hall meeting and say, mm -hmm. the, the community don't want that shit. Yeah. That's not why we voted for you. I invested money in your organization and I want my fucking money back. You don't think you can get your money yeah, back. Yeah, but, but let me say something else. Don't be Dave Chappelle though. Don't walk up in a damn city council meeting and and not Columbus. This is, I think it's a small town in Ohio. But mind you, Ohio had four cities on that bitch, on that Chetty study. And Dave Chappelle walked his ass in one of them city council meetings and said, I will pull my money out. Or like he said, I will not support this if y'all build this affordable housing near my neighborhood. Bruh, bruh, come on now. Come on now. Capitalism, capitalism. Why you don't want the niggas next to you? You don't want the poorer people next to you because it might not necessarily all be niggas. You never know. It's at, in this economy, the way egg prices is looking, it's not going to be all niggas. <laughs> it's going to be a good mix of motherfuckers so, in there. Yeah, we might find that clip for y'all too because I was astounded. I said, see, this what happened when you get money. You start thinking affordable housing is actually going to bring your property value down. And that's- And it probably is. It probably would if you're but spending it millions it a of dollars. Income community, though, it's not no. It's no, it brings your property value down. Yes, you are not a high income community. You're now a mixed income. What is so? But what I think from a business perspective, rich people don't want to live with poor people. It's very the yeah. is the simplest baseline for it. So it's like depending on what kind of establishment he was putting in that community he would probably not only bring the property value down, he would probably lose investors or lose people that wanted to be a part of it because they don't want to live in a mixed income community. I don't think that that's the right thing to do personally. I yeah, get yeah. it from a business standpoint. Yeah, so I, I feel like we were talking about solutions and it got a little dark, but <laughs> nonetheless, we'll cut some of that. these are really solutions, like active civic engagement. Um, as you can see in the clip, like, People voted this woman out that had signed the no-knock warrant. So you can still do civic engagement in other facets. You just got to be involved. And, and it's no, I, it's, you no longer have the excuse of, oh my gosh, I had no idea. It's because you intentionally didn't want to know. You didn't want to know. I don't like that. You so, when people are so loud about an issue and I'm like, well, you can do this, like, to help out and it's crickets that that's what's that is what uh, it's so frustrating as someone who's always trying to be a part of the solution it's like that's why we started this podcast because we would just be complaining all the time and we're like is somebody doing something about this like yeah. i don't want to always have to sing the same song and this shit is happening like yeah. 
you know, civic engagement is on the rise, advocacy is on the rise, you know, um, overthrowing governments around the world is on the rise because people are understanding their people power. Mm-hmm. And when we understand our people power, I will, I will revel in the day, period. Mm. I am interested in like tearing down governments and building new ones, but then it's like, are we building them with the same platform as the original one? Because like, I don't think that's going to work. Yeah. Another um, solution, uh, this kind of ties to the Chetty study where, you know, Charlotte realized, oh, we got a lot of explaining to do. Like we, how are we last? Like, and they didn't lie. The data is there. Like, that's us. That's our zip code. So they realized it's the historical past that Mm -hmm. Charlotte is literally segregated into what is has been coined the crescent and the wedge where the crescent represents disadvantaged minority communities see I just did it minority and disadvantaged where but it is predominantly minority and it's predominantly disadvantaged so it's two of those things because of history where they were pushed into those neighborhoods and the wealthy are in the wedge and more affluent areas are in the wedge and they made the highway systems like that so again Charlotte has pieced together how they got here and is now making a plan where every city this is a little backdrop this is policy where you can be involved in every city is required at least major cities are required to make a strategic plan every 20 years or so to to how they're going to turn the city where are investments going to go and charlotte has a comprehensive plan and it's called the charlotte future 2040 comprehensive plan and this plan is interactive this plan includes their history this plan includes what they intend to do about it and, and I guarantee you, anybody living in Charlotte want to do something, you can find your niche you and be involved and keep up with the policy going on. And that could just be your civic engagement. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying run, it, run down the street and rah-rah, but I'm saying stay ready so you ain't got to get ready. Okay. Because this And this plan is, is free to look at, right? Like I've had conversations with friends or me and my boyfriend and some of his friends where shit'll happen, they'll build something in the city or they'll reroute a bus ride or something. Motherfuckers will complain about it, but it's like, there. if you go to Google and type in Charlotte Future 2040 Comprehensive Plan, you don't even gotta type all that, just type in CLT 2040. It's coming up, it's the first thing on Google. And like like Clasha said, it is interactive. It's not just a PDF document with a bunch of words. There's maps, there's infographics that tells you like everything that they're planning to do in this city. And if this is the city that you live in, or if you're one of those people who have been here for generations mm-hmm. and you are suffering from a low upward economic mobility, you might want to take a look at this plan and see mm-hmm. what they're planning on doing because the Chetty study has showed that you will be here for a while. Now, you don't have to be here for a while. There are outliers. There are things that you can do to, I'm not saying pull yourself up by your bootstraps because I fucking hate that terminology, yeah. but there are things that you can do to be an active agent in your own life Mm -hmm. and to build generational wealth for yourself. One of those things um, that you can do is if you're looking at purchasing homes, there is the West Side Community Land Trust, which is in Charlotte. Mm -hmm. You can volunteer with them. You can go to them and get resources. And what they do is... 
Community Land Trusts, or CLTs, are nonprofit organizations that acquire, own, and steward land permanently for the common good. The most common CLT land use is housing, but retail, office, and a variety of other uses are possible. CLTs give formal decision-making voice and power to local community residents in determining land uses. Here's how CLTs make home buying affordable for families in their communities. First, the CLT builds or buys homes using one-time public or private investment. Next, the CLT sells just the home to a low-income buyer who qualifies for a mortgage. And the CLT keeps the land, holding it in trust for future generations of home buyers. In return for being able to buy a home at a discounted price, the family agrees to pay it forward and sell to another low-income family at a price they can afford. The CLT manages the sales process, ensuring that each home-buying family builds some wealth from a predetermined, limited amount of the sales proceeds. In this way, the one-time public or private investment in CLT homes makes lasting affordability a reality and stabilizes communities. And CLTs benefit the larger community too, as they preserve and protect housing for long-term residents, helping to build stronger, safer, and higher quality, diverse neighborhoods, contributing to greater educational attainment, employment opportunities, and health outcomes. And there's stuff like this um, in different states all over the country. Like in Illinois, Chicago has the Autonomous Tenants Unit, which is something very similar. They try to keep gentrification from happening or displacement rather mm -hmm. from happening. They try to keep communities especially historically Black communities or historically Latino communities or whatever, they try to keep them, I don't want to say as pure as possible because that sounds, right. sounds like some Nazi shit, but they try to keep the people that have historically been there, there, and to also offer ways for them to increase um, equity or upward mobility within these communities. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're looking for a way to combat displacement or gentrification in your neighborhood, civic engagement is the best way and becoming knowledgeable about mm -hmm. other people who are doing something to solve the problem. You don't got to do everything by yourself. Like team up with one of these people. There are established nonprofits Come on now. that you, you can team up with. The wheel. You do not. Just tap in with somebody. Yes. And we and our last solution we'll talk about is actually from one of Charlotte's very own. They created a organization in 2020 called uh, the Fighting Missionaries. And it's to help rehouse previously incarcerated. And, mm. you know, they he just put his head down and he did the work. And he's looking up now to a $1.3 million grant to um, rebuild a community up to be permanent affordable housing. And again, this is baked into Charlotte's 2040 plan to address historical inequities. And so, yes, gentrification is happening rapidly here. But I do think there's something to be said about how they're trying to be intentional on curving this induced displacement, this development induced displacement that happens with gentrification. And like all major cities, uh, they are not perfect and you need to be ready for the fight. And it's, you know, you have to want this and not a lot of people are in these rooms when these budgets are getting made or, and are really fighting and advocating for this stuff. And so we have to highlight those who are and, you know, who remain tenacious Hello, um, Benita. It's so nice to have you on the show. Um, Thanks for having me. Yes, of course. So 
you know, for those um, listening, this is Benita Staples, and I met her at school, actually, um, and I took a, a GIS class, which is like a mapping type class, and learned how to do some really cool stuff with maps and aerial views and roster data. It's all coming back to me now, um, and I thought um, Benita was so great at getting us to think about how we can use GIS in our field into like solve problems um, related to work we do. So I just thought it'd be great to get her on to talk about her work um, and and what she does um, and a little bit about uh, what we're talking about during this episode. So without further ado. Well, (laughs) Clarissa, you know how to make a teacher feel good. I am glad you enjoyed our class. I am a person who is passionate about this topic, uh, which is, of course, why I teach it. Um, I am an alumnus of UNC Charlotte. Um, I started out as an elementary school, not middle school teacher, Um, took some classes in geography, fell in love, and was like, this is my new career. So I work full-time with Mecklenburg County now in its geospatial information services uh, team. Specifically, I work, uh, I'm the manager, um, GIS manager. GIS stands for Geographic Information Systems. Thank you. Um, Thank you I know. <laughs> yes, because um, I just said it like, yeah, GIS. like people <laughs> don't know what it means. So I am the GIS land records ma- uh, manager. Um, and as Clasher said, I teach part time a lot of GIS classes, specifically to people who are using GIS in the real world, um, not the super technical, because I want to make sure people can use it and apply it. So I teach a lot of the GIS non-major, for non-majors and spatial thinking and those types of courses. So on my day-to-day, I am the person who manages about, um, that's about 25 um, team members. I mean, my team is responsible for assigning all addresses, street, uh, approving street names. We are part of uh, the team of individuals who reviews plans for development. We keep track of who owns what and how much of the land do they own. Mm. Um, we draw boundary lines and changes based off of legal documents that are recorded at the register of deeds. So we call ourselves the data gatekeepers for the city. Just get to see how the city changes. Like mm. I think before other people do in a way that other people seem tend to overlook because we are dealing with a <laughs> real like rubber to the road data every day. Wow, I think that's so cool. I remember in class of seeing a, a, a time lapse from an oh. aerial view of what the city looked like before, you know, all yeah. the way in the, as early as they started yeah. keeping them in like the early 1900s to- Yeah, 1930s, we have aerials, uh, yeah. which is crazy. You're like, what kind of cameras they using in the 1930s? Right. Uh, <laughs> but it really cameras? was, yeah, but it really was a camera attached to the bottom of a plane that would just snap photos. Um, and in the 30s, it was for uh, agricultural reasons, right? Farmers needed to uh, manage acreage and land that type of way. And, you know, GIS wasn't called GIS back then, but it was the same thing. Um, and so we have kept track in an aerial perspective of how the city has changed um, since the since the 30s. And, you know, we're way more advanced now. We're taking pictures from sides, obliques, no. angles, you know, not just on top, but um, 
the county does a, a really good job and we spend a lot of taxpayers dollars um y'all hear that <laughs> to keep track of the changes um especially now um i just think in the political environment we live in people are much more interested in how the city is changing yes yes mm-hmm. and i i tell Klaisha a lot of times that i i'm really i come from a history background mm, so loads of history yeah Still some data, but not as heavy. Right. Because right. history so, adds a spin, right? History tells the story behind the changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I always think it's interesting. And I am and I always tell Klaisha, I think the work that you do with data is so important because it puts, it puts a name on the face of what the lay person sees, right? Like every time my mom right. comes to see me, she's like, the plaza look different. South Boulevard look different. This look different. <laughs> yeah. So I think what you do is so important to see and keep track of how a city changes and how it develops and yeah. what that means for the people that currently occupy those spaces and have been there for a long time. So speaking of being able to put a name to the face of what the common person will see in the area. We know that Charlotte is growing, right? Like Charlotte is booming out of control. Mm -hmm. So can you give our listeners an example of your role or your department's role interacting with real estate developers and land developers that are moving into the city? Yes. So Charlotte is, man, we are a fast, fast growing metropolitan area. I think it's something like the, like, 18th largest metropolitan area, which is funny because, you know, back in the early 2000s, they tried to uh, stop annexations, right? So the city of Charlotte do these, can do these things, used to could do this thing called an annexation where they would say, oh, okay, because every town has, it's what we call a, um, it's called an ETJ. It's a jurisdictional boundary. That's like the county, but not the city. And so essentially all these cities can like <laughs> eat up for lack of a better way, keep it simple, these little small areas that have are unincorporated, right? Mm-hmm. So they're past legislation to like, okay, <laughs> you have Charlotte has grown way too fast, too much is happening. They're like only people who want to be added to the city can now be added. And it hasn't slowed down <laughs> the growth at all. People want to be a part of the city. So Wow. Over time, we think, you know, you can see and we see it in the data. The city is growing all over, right? Like it used to be Huntersville was the hot spot and Cornelius, of course, with the lake and the development around the lake. And then it became development around Lake Wiley. Um, Matthews and Mint Hill are not growing as fast, but they are doing that on purpose. They are, (laughs) uh, Mint Hill especially has legislation in place or zoning that does not allow for density. So if you want a big yard, you know, Mid Mid Hill is a place to go because, you know, Charlotte does not care. They're like, you want 0.2 acres or or 0.003 acres? Like, what do you want? We'll build on Um, top of that. (laughs) We'll build on top of, on top of. No, um, and you know, and so Charlotte has a reputation for being a developer's town. Um, It it is a city that likes to grow, that likes um, new and shiny, right? And so the problem with that, you know, as a person who's lived here since 2000, I'm from um, Durham, North Carolina, originally, another city that kind of is going through the similar uh, mm-hmm. triangle growth and change. A um, lot more people fighting for uh, history in the triangle yeah, yeah, yeah. than it is here in Charlotte. And, they and, don't and, play you, can, and, and you can see it, right? Yeah. So you asked me, what are some areas? Um, 
So I guess two, probably two years ago, you'd ask me this, I'd have been like, right, Huntersville, the, the outskirts. I'd have been like Matthews, Huntersville, Davidson. But right now, it's in, it's inside the city, right? These developers are buying this cheap land, tearing down these uh, uh, cheap properties and building these high rises and skyscrapers and condos which keeps us busy i'll tell people like listen the pandemic happened like i can't tell like uh, my work did not stop uh developers did not take a break um wow. yeah i mean so now i would say that the the growth is happening inside there's lots of like i don't know if you know people don't watch people don't follow zoning but there's lots of petitions to change zoning to increase density um, so that they can take these homes, like these homes in Hidden Valley, or all the things around Camp North End and Noda, like yeah. all these, like what used to be just old residential neighborhoods are turning into these trendy spaces to live or the building townhomes and multifamily condos, townhomes, apartment buildings is everything. We is the most are, that's the most of what we see that comes from developers. Um, and again, it, it really is just our job to look at these plans and make sure that they are following all the rules <laughs> because- Trying to cut corners. Right. Sometimes, sometimes they're making their money. They try to cut corners. Um, I can... So I think that's kind of what they're trying to do, right? They're trying to create these like subcultures you know and sell that right because that's the thing that um attracts people to move you know we're Char charlotte is in no shortage of population where people are immigrating to our city <laughs> the e immigrate not the i immigrate but you know all the people are coming into the city and you know these people have to have somewhere to go i don't know how they paying for it because they're not <laughs> but <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, we'll talk about that i'm sure later but um Wow. We see these people come through and our, it really is our job just to make sure that, again, people are not cutting corners and that safety is in considered parking, right? All these things um, that are required when you are building and developing. And again, we don't often get the final say, but we just are a stop on, on the review process because planning and the city planning gets the is the main voice that gets to say yay or nay, but they definitely ask for our input. It's, 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 it's an interesting, never a dull day. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I could imagine. Yeah. And so you just talking about the, um, how you will get to see how politics and developers play. Right. This is what's happening, right? Gentrification is what's happening to Biddleville or West Charlotte around the historically black college or more west over here where freedom drive has typically been also another black community or wilmore which is right on almost like a two couple blocks away from trade and tryon uptown uh wilmore is like the oldest black neighborhood um in charlotte and there are no remnants barely or you think about uh was it brooklyn village um second war right right which completely lost its <laughs> Uh, groundhold during uh, urban renewal, you know, in that time, they just wiped it off. They didn't even like, they don't even want to rebuild there. They just like, just wipe mm -hmm. it all away. Unfortunately, the people who get impacted the most, like you said, are the black and brown people. Um, They're being displaced, really, you know. Oh, for sure. For, mainly, for sure. Um, and again, you want reinvestment in those neighborhoods, but somebody has to hold these 
developers accountable for including the community that already lives there. Um, now, uh, as a person who works in land records, again, I, like I say, our work is very much rooted in data and what is there and what is coming. You know, we, we, we very much handle, we're, we're like the observers, right? But um, at probably every quarter, every four months, or every three months or so, we have a meeting to say, hey guys, like, what departments do we need to reach out? Who who needs our help? Like, who? Where are we seeing things that could benefit from G, uh, GIS, right? From geographic information systems, because what GIS is most powerful at is taking all these numbers, all these um, coordinates, and all this type of stuff, and package it in a way that, as as Clash talked about in our class, that helps you solve problems. Because you know some things aren't easy to see unless you put it a certain way. You know, as a black and brown person myself, I take a lot of personal pride as a person who manages a team and works with the other managers to make this a real thing in our department. Because again, to be fair, our department has always been as colorful as it is now. Um, so these issues have not always been as important because, you know, it's easy for us to say, oh, my job is just to record what's there. But I would be amiss if I didn't see something and say something, right? So, yeah. You can be inside the system and do work. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know it's so funny because that's what I tell my daughter because she wants me to be out there marching the streets, like protesting. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, I'm making change. It's not, you know, sudden right. change, but small changes add up to big change. So, yeah. And I think we all have a part to play. Like, as they say in the church, like that might not be your ministry. You know, yeah, it not, definitely is not. <laughs> that might not be for you, but <laughs> but you found an avenue that works for you. Right, and, right. And again, the work that you do is is so important. Yes. Um, and when we look at the growth of Charlotte specifically in Mecklenburg County, and we look at the effects that um, gentrification and displacement has on Black and Brown people. What areas, in your professional opinion, mm -hmm. what areas of Charlotte do you think we're going to see the most growth in the next 10 to 15 years? And how do you think that will affect the people that currently live there? Most of the time they're black and brown, but just sure. the people sure. currently occupy those spaces. Man, that's a great question. Um, right now, I think long-term, 10, 15 years from now, I don't see this growth slowing down. I do see this infield of gentrification continuing because right like we we ask we we as a collective this group of residents of the city of charlotte are asking for this you know cultural restaurant heavy you know we're we're wanting these trendy new places to go and you know people follow the money so i think that like you know central avenue the plaza um these communities like um Shoot, I live in Southwest Charlotte, which is a shadow from, you know, between kind of Carowinds and the airport. Um, it's starting to now with the outlet mall came. It just, when I moved here in 2000, it was like farm, 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 half of 485. <laughs> like it was nothing. And all that land's been bought up. And now it's an Olive Garden and a, a shopping outlet mall and like Berwick, a whole, you know, bunch of homes have shot up. So I think that number one the rural communities are going to go away completely like um because that's a voice that they're not even they're just moving right like they're moving to South Carolina and which you know the suburbs are the 
the pocket communities, as we like to call them, are a whole nother monster. But again, so people are just moving farther and farther out. But what's coming in to fill in those places, you know, money, money makes things happen. So um, I definitely think West Charlotte's going to look very different in 10 years. Like, and, you know, as someone, I don't even know, don't sue me. I don't know. I don't know. I know. I know right? I'll just say like this, the work I'm doing um, in a particular area in the West End, uh, West of Charlotte is like, it makes me wonder all this work that the city and the county are doing to try to Mm-hmm. her gentrification and trying to reduce you know address mm-hmm. this affordable housing crisis it seems like it's an all hands on deck yeah it seems like millions it. of dollars into it, it. <laughs> and that's where I want to yeah I want to yeah. know your opinion yeah like, because you think that's just eventually it's gonna buy out I- and no, I think that there are those, like, I do think the planning community and the planning planners and the people who work with housing and the urban development, and I do think that that is what they want to happen. But again, remember I said, Charlotte is a developer's town. Mm-hmm. Like, Charlotte loves the influx of money. Like, the money, it's funny because, like, my husband's from Detroit, and whenever his family comes to visit, they always talk about how shiny and new Charlotte is, right? Charlotte loves that. And so, if that's going to bring all the money, all the conferences, all the people, a larger professional community as a banking you know, hub, we want professionals to move here. What do professionals want? They want Whole Foods. They do not want the Super G Mart, which I love, by the way. Uh, But (laughs) you know what I'm saying? It's just like, you're right. I want there. I think that those people do want those things. I just don't think that they are having the right partners. I just don't think that they have the economic development, the capital improvement project. The, those two pieces aren't working together because mm-hmm. we do have people in our office who specifically support economic development and specifically support the county manager's office and their capital improvement projects. And that's not, I'm not hearing, I'm not hearing that talk from those departments. I hear the talk from when, I, when we meet with planning, when we meet with neighborhood development, when we meet with the people who talk to the people, right? Those are the people who are working, but the people who are whose job it is to make Charlotte money, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and again, I mean, we can't be, we're not surprised by that, right? right? It's just the question is, is how do we get those two things on board? And 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 now they're, you know, that's where the elected officials come in. It's just like, right. He's trying to tell y'all. Y'all know I'm a dead horse when we get on solutions. And you know that is all one of my main solutions. It really is. Because like I said, like we will try to hold steadfast to what you know the rules and the things, but I've cannot tell you how many times somebody town manager from you know maybe Pineville or Cornelius or something and they would say hey you are holding up this project like let's talk about it what needs to happen or what is the big deal like why you know so if you get in those officials ears and say if you keep letting these people throw up these buildings and tear down our history and these type of things like you can cancel your career right they're going to listen to you all right I'm not voting for you or I'm not you know um because those people have power right because the developers know it clearly (laughs) they know it yeah yeah and I think it's interesting we um we just posted on our Instagram the other day we tuned into like a virtual town hall meeting and Mm -hmm. it was a zoning meeting Mm -hmm. and um I caught the tail end of it but 
I just think that it's important for our listeners to know that like you can go to these meetings and you can air your grievances with your elected officials. And if you can't physically attend, if you don't have any grievances, you can you can go to YouTube. Like they oh, absolutely all of their meetings on absolutely. YouTube. So you can at least yeah. be informed about what's happening so you don't wake up tomorrow. You're like, well, dang, they put in a condo right beside right. my grandma's house. It's like right. they, they said right. they were gonna do it. I always tell people, like, look at West Boulevard and East Boulevard, right? The only thing that, you know, South Boulevard is what splits them, right? It's the same street. It does not look the at same. all the same. Like, East Boulevard has this, you know, beautiful trees in the middle of the street, median, so you can cross the street and not have to stand on the yellow line. Because, you know, I'm driving on West Boulevard, like, oh my God, like, why are people standing on the yellow line in the middle of the street? But, of course, if they had a tree line median, like the East Boulevard side does, it's like, well, Cause I've gone to a meeting and said like, why did you all stop at, at South Boulevard? Like, why y'all, why'd y'all, why'd y'all stop there? Like why it's the same street? Why did you not go ahead and finish the whole avenue? Racism, no, racism. <laughs> it's just, but also who are the people attending those meetings asking for those changes, right? Right. Like um, they try to use to kind it of is, like, it, because you are literally banking on people's ignorance. Yes. You yes. strip us from everything. You under yes. resources, strip yes. us of education, yes. strip us of healthy right. food, and then want us to be empowered enough to go yeah. to a freaking meeting Where and, you like, granted, yeah. and advocate. And granted, some community leaders are going to do what needs to be done. Right. But they should just do it because it should be done. Right. Like, right. like, why would you stop there? Why don't you think that these people want a beautiful tree line street as well because it's not like anything like, yeah. <laughs> and I think that's the crazy thing too is like gentrification can be good right like changing a neighborhood yes. A, yes. a whole foods is a wonderful thing where there's more organic foods there's more vegetable and fruit options we want those things too you know yeah. like we, yeah. we want the the Trader Joe's yeah. and the yeah whole, right the, the sprouts we want all of those things the people that do you have to take it upon yourself because right because it, where you should just make it equitable all, all over. They want you to fight for it and ask for it and that kind of thing, even though everybody's not asking for it. It's just happening for some folks, but yeah. Okay, right. that's why I'm yeah. sad. I know that's sad news yeah. to report. It is, it is. And it, it's why people get so disgruntled with um, like government, right? <laughs> like, it's like, what are y'all doing? Yeah. How do you think that the work that you do, and you've touched on this mm-hmm. during this yeah. interview, yeah. Um, the work that you do, how do you think that helps to curb displacement or or um, reframe gentrification in a way where it can be positive for everybody and you can kind of advocate for those people who aren't advocating for themselves, aren't able to advocate for themselves? Um, yeah, and I did, you know, I mentioned it a little bit, but I definitely think that we get to see patterns a little bit sooner than other people can just because we get to look at the data as it's being created. Um, And so as long as we have individuals, and of course, as a hiring manager, I definitely try hire people with integrity and um, uh, morals that I think align with the the city and the county's um, plans, right? Like um, we continue to work with in a partnership um, essentially any organization, right? Like any nonprofit, any um, shoot resident can call us up and say, 
hey, I'm curious on where all the farmers markets are. I'm curious on any data. All data is free and public. Like, thank you, George Bush, for Freedom of Information Act. I mean, there's a double. He did sword. one thing right. He did one thing right. I mean, kind of because right. that's what means. Uh, but yeah, but but you can get the data yourself, uh, and when you don't understand it, we'll help you you know, use it. So it's our job to make sure people know that the information is out there. We are, our office, we are, as, a, as ha, especially having me as a manager in the land record side, uh, committed to education and committed to showing people how to use the data in a way that is beneficial. So GIS as a whole in Mecklenburg County is really big about like, use this data take it, it's for free. We package it up nicely. You can download it on your computer. We have all kind of YouTube tutorials on how to use it. Um, yeah, it, all the information is there. Aerials, you can download that, you know. Um, yeah, it's all free. It's all there and available. So we are all about teaching people how to use the information. And when you don't, if you want something a little bit more fancy, we can do that too. So yeah, we can do custom. Um, maps and applications and all those types of things as well. So, are you, yeah. so you're saying that people could call you and be like, I want to see where all the food deserts are and around my address. I live at yep. blah, blah, blah. If they say, here's my address, um, I'd like a PDF or a map that shows um, a 10 mile radius and how many you know gro grocery stores. Yeah, that's easy. That's an easy PDF to make. Yeah. So we do a lot to make sure and again, all free. Um, this information free, is available. Um, and people who called us with questions that we'll, we direct you in the right place and connect you to the right uh, people to, to, to explain what you're actually looking at. So, yeah. So for all of our listeners, the information is out there. Whatever you're looking for, it is out there. You just have to know where to look. But yeah, we definitely, it's like, it's out there. It's open data portal. Like, yeah, it's, we're required by law. You know, I'm gonna tell you who does, who definitely knows it's there are the journalists. <laughs> we probably get, yeah. <laughs> so it's all kind of information we have out there and it's, it's out there. So, yeah. you know, just, I always tell people like, people who move to the city who are like, oh, I'm looking for a neighborhood that's not, you know, I, I don't want to live where it's the schools or whatever. And I was like, hey, you don't got to ask this public group on Facebook. You can go to Quality of Life Explorer and see what the crime is, see what the education level is on average. You can see anything you want to see about the neighborhood and community. You can see how it's changed because we how income level has changed the neighborhood and the Quality of Life Explorer because we track it over time. We show you um, because if, you, if you're interested in the neighborhood I'm moving in, is this a gentrified neighborhood? Am I buying in a gentrified neighborhood you can look and say you don't have to be ignorant you can know um so yeah that all all that stuff is out there yeah and i'll give you guys all those links that people can use because people do not use it enough like i i, I never failed and i end up being like the hero of like the mom groups and all that stuff. i was like no 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 it's just data it's just like i've done nothing it's just data yeah i'm not the, like i'm not the hero it's just it's all there for you. So I always go to meetings and say, we have a marketing problem. We need to market better. Oh my God. I say that all the time working with the city, like working with the, now that I've worked with the city and the county, I'm just like, one, y'all have a marketing problem. And two, you looked at data from 2012, like, please stop. Some people, you know, in, in roles of management in places of the people who make decisions, don't get it. It, it. it hasn't 
Oh. It hasn't connected for those people. And so unfortunately, a lot of departments end up using like dated data or they end up using an old method instead of embracing new technology because some people are afraid of new technology. I just want to end with thank you, thanking you for all your insight. It's been great. Yes. Um, yeah. Definitely got to find another reason to have you back yeah. uh, on the show. <laughs> we'll yeah. make up oh, an episode. Right. I, <laughs> I think of something I'm sure it'll come across my desk and I'll be like, oh, I bet they'll like this. <laughs> that what what can you tell uh the people where we can find you on social media or even um some stuff from the city web the county web page that you say you want to sure sure yeah um yes i can um mechnc.gov is uh mecklenburg county's um link uh in the departments we're gis it's easy you know like mechnc.gov slash backslash gis will get you to us um we're actually going through a website uh update which is good for everybody else <laughs> um open mecklenburg county if you search mecklenburg county open portal um you'll get to our, our all of our free um free data um mm -hmm. we give data you can download you can bring us a hard drive and we'll download it for you um, we, if, if you are into programming, we, our applications, the structure and, uh, SQL, the quoting behind our applications is free. So you can build your own quality of life explorer for your own, you know, new city or town. Like it's all free. Like we, wow. um, we do that. Me personally, I can, you know, Instagram is my favorite social media. Um, Benita BJ, um, at, you know, Instagram is my, um, handle there. And, um, yeah, um, I am big on education. People, anybody who wants to learn more about GIS or Mecklenburg County, um, yeah, I, I love to talk. So let's do it. <laughs> yes, yes, thank you. Thank yes. you so yeah. much. Thank you guys. Yes. Uh, we have loved having you on. And for all of our listeners, again, this was Miss Benita Staples at the yeah. GIS department with Charlotte Mecklenburg County. Thank you so much for your time. All right, y'all. We're about to wrap up this show. I know it was a long one. Thank y'all for hanging in there with us, but really thanks to yourselves because we just put y'all onto a lot of gems, especially if you live in Charlotte. And even if you don't check with your city or your county's resources or your town, your municipality, whatever, yes. check the resources because it's so much free information out there that citizens, a lot of times black and brown citizens just don't know about. And it's there and it's yeah free. when you bored and you want to doom scroll instead of doom scrolling on instagram just do a little doom scroll down your city's website and see if you know they have the same department that miss benita's um in so the geospatial information systems just see you never know people might be making maps right in your city so we know y'all are everywhere uh, outside of charlotte and we just want to empower you guys to be able to do the same things we do here in your city. Um, so our last section, and it's a pretty new one. I don't even know if we have a song for it, like a little section clip. I don't know if we will. We you know we just go on the fly with this type of stuff, but um, we're just gonna do future predictions. And essentially, future predictions is where we just, you know, make a bunch of predictions based off of the information we've learned and what we've been talking about and the guests we speak to 
And where do we see this issue or this topic going? Yes. So my future prediction when we're talking about gentrification and induced displacement and affordable housing and housing crisis and blah, 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 blah. My future prediction is that America is soon to become a nation of renters. And I believe that we are already very much there. I think it's going to get a lot worse um, or a lot more prominent because who's to say if it's good or it's bad. I don't think it's the most positive thing. But what I mean by that is a lot of the displacement that's coming in besides just building up cities and building up metropolitan areas is coming from corporations like Zillow and Open Door, where they're buying up all of these single family homes in different neighborhoods. And um, effectively what that's doing is raising the property taxes in these neighborhoods, right? So like, even if you choose to not sell your house, if a conglomerate is buying all the houses over asking in your neighborhood, it's going to raise your property taxes. And so what we're seeing now is a lot of people, especially older people, are unable to continue to pay for the homes that they own, right? Their mortgages and stuff like that because they can't afford the property mm -hmm. tax. And so now you have to turn around and sell your house. Well, because Zillow and Open Door and Realtor.com paid for all these houses over asking, you now can't afford to buy a new house. And so you have gone from being a homeowner to being a renter, which as we talked about in this episode, property ownership and land ownership is one of the quickest ways to build equity and generational wealth in the Black community. So not to be pessimistic, but I do think that um, if there are not some checks and balances placed on corporations buying up single family homes, it's, it's, we are going to be a land of renters. We will own nothing and we'll be like serfs and feudalism will be tied to our land and our neighborhoods and this is where you work. This is where you eat. This is where you play. This is where mm. you live. And by the time that it gets to that point, it's going to be too late. So we have to do something about that now. Mm. Yeah, because the housing crisis, we're experiencing a little bit of that now of all these big conglomerates buying up houses and they underestimated like being able to sell them. Like mm -hmm. they underestimated. It's like Zillow, you bought it over asking and is now trying to sell it over asking. We're not buying. We're not doing that. Yeah. Like, who would have thunk that they're not going to pay for a $2 million two bedroom in a shitty neighborhood just because I paid that much for it because I wanted to outbid everybody else? Who would have fucking thunk? Like, These corporations really be sick in the head, bro. Sick in the head. Sick in the head, bro. What's gone? What's gone? Madness. It's gone, mate. Yeah. Are you stupid or are you dumb? <laughs> what is it? Isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> All right. You got to cut that um what's your future prediction my future prediction okay I'm gonna be a little self-serving and do like a personal future prediction I feel like where my career goes in the direction I feel like I'm going to be working for local governments and in this housing you know affordable housing space I feel like one of my things I really want to do is be a resource I think uh you, you guys heard it in our podcast that cities and local governments they have a marketing problem and sometimes I don't even think they want to fix it and so hopefully when I you know in a position that I'm in I can be that resource and be that connector to the community and let them know like look y'all better sign up for this city program look don't even worry about it I got you I'll show you how to do all the paperwork just just get up here by eight o'clock <laughs> like I want to be that type of like resource or connector because there's so much distrust 
in communities that now that's what cities are using as an excuse. Mm -hmm. And then that's what also community members are, are using as a reason not to re-engage with cities Mm -hmm. when your tax dollars go there. So it's like, at the end of the day, I get that the trust has fallen, but being able to hold them accountable shouldn't and putting a flame to the fire shouldn't. And that's what I hope I can help do um, on a personal matter. But then a larger prediction I feel like pretty soon if cities don't get really serious about affordable housing, um, our homeless crisis is going to just be outrageous. It's going to get out of control. Like it's going to be something we've never seen before to where you got like more and more stories of people saying I was living check to check for years mm-hmm. and then this happened and mm-hmm. I'm now homeless yeah and so I think that's really going to be a big issue if we don't get this affordable housing thing together and all we can do is is hope for the best because you'll fucking go insane yeah. um thinking nothing's gonna happen um I think most people are like one emergency away from complete financial ruin you know Mm -hmm. like living paycheck to paycheck is such a reality for so many people that it's like I don't have you can't budget your way out of poverty right like so Mm -hmm. I don't have the money to save up for this or for that or like I have the tiniest emergency fund it can't be no big emergency okay like I got enough money to get a new tire but the brakes better not go bad on this motherfucker or I got to take the bus to work. Oh, that's your ass. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, it's very... And then most of us don't have health insurance on top of that. So it's like, I can't afford no... I really, really, really can't afford no medical emergency, no health emergency. So, yeah, something's got to give. Yeah. So that that'll... That'll do it for us, guys. So what are y'all's future predictions? Feel free to tag us on Instagram and on our TikTok page. Where do you see gentrification and displacement and this housing crisis in the U.S. going within the next few years? Do you know of any solutions? And if you do, feel free to share them with us. Yes. And all right. Until next time, village. Bye.